Dzień dobry, dzieci. It is the Flurza Experience. This is episode number 16, but that's not my line. That's uh, Pavel Berger's line, but we'll get to that either way. Exactly. <laughs> I'm mad at myself here. It is a show about Gwent, but so much more. I'm joined by the Punchkey Pirate. Did I use that one already? I don't know if I used Punchkey Pirate. I don't know. I don't remember. I used Punchkey Prowler. Yes. Punchkey Punisher. There was a lot of Punchkey ones, but I yeah. don't know if I was a Punchkey Pirate. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Yar. Yo ho Shiver ho. me Punchkey. <laughs> Shiver me Punchkeys. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, there you go. Punchkey Pirate. Pavel Burza. Exactly. Like you said, hello. This is episode 16. Sweet 16. Our sweet 16. Yeah. This is good. This is good. We're on the nice roll, I have to say. it's a, It's been a pretty nice roll. Not going to lie. I have no... I looked up like famous number 16s in sports and there's like joe montana there's there's a Ooh. few but like none that i really um have any interesting stories about i mean joe montana is probably the best number 16 that's ever existed uh he used to be a quarterback for the san francisco 49ers if i'm not mistaken joan fontana was the quarterback who threw uh who threw like one of the one of the more like famous touchdowns uh that have I don't know if it was called the Immaculate Reception or something. No, I don't think it was called the Immaculate Reception. Either way, Joe Montana is the best number 16 that I could. But I have no, okay. like, yeah, I had no connection with any of them. No stories really to tell about most of them. They're pretty clean cut, uh, as it were. So there you have it. I will take it. There you go. That's that's it. That's all I got. All right. This week, we're going to talk about archetypes and identity. So interesting topic for sure. A uh, lot to say about it. But first, but first, the Dagon Rumor Report. Yes. So, well, this, this Dagon Rumor Report, um, as you see it in front of you, Mr. Pavel Verja, is, uh, yes. is old news. Uh, it's old yes. news. But uh, I, I figured maybe I'll wing one. I'll wing one right Ooh. at you right now. Because uh, you do the Dagon Rumor Report most of the time. And unfortunately for everybody listening... Your day on rumor reports are are pretty bleak. They're pretty, you know, they're low, uh, they're low low chances, as it were. And you know, I'm I'm tired of you being this beacon of negativity when it comes well, to day on. Something better. I definitely better. have something better. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> listen up. It. Listen up, Bucko. Yeah, that's a callback. To <laughs> it's a callback to last episode, Bucko. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Dagon, ladies and gentlemen. All right. I know that Pavel always wings at you these 0% chances. Well, listen up. All right. I got something a little better for you. It's called 0.6% chance of Dagon. Okay. Ooh. Unfortunately, we round down to zero. So, oh. yeah. Um, it ain't happening, ladies and gentlemen. And I was actually talking about this earlier. Uh, I was talking about this with Ellis. Ellis the Thunderbird. Uh, wonderful person. Amazing human being. Um, one of my... Uh, dearest dearest friends within the the Gwent community for many years um <laughs> i was mentioning so cuz somebody uh somebody had asked me uh they're like oh i haven't played in a long time is dagon still a card and i said let me <laughs> tell you let me educate you <laughs> yeah listen up yeah pull up a chair young child and i will regale you with the tale of dagon and i said that no it's not and um and then Ellis was saying about how she wanted it to come back. And I said, you know what? I'm like, I want it to come back, but I want it to be so freaking bad, so freaking bad <laughs> that, uh, you know, that I want people to, um, what did I say? Oh, God, I got to pull this up. Either way, 
It's it's early for me in the morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. You, you just you just want him to be hot garbage, if I remember correctly. Yes, I wanted that was, him to that be. Was, that was the one that yes. you told me. I wanted it to be bad, so that <laughs> uh, you know, people like I want it to be so bad. I yeah, I don't even remember what the hell I was gonna say. I just thought it'd be hilarious if it was bad, so that people were just like, it, it ain't it ain't about the card game. It's about the characters you want to see. Like, and I get yeah. it. People just want to see certain characters, but it would be. I, I thought it would be hilarious if Dagon came back. And it was just a terrible, terrible, terrible card. And I'd be like, there you go. There's Dagon. There you go. You have it. Put it there like, you go. Enjoy. Slap, slap Dagon on like Wolfpack. Just say that this <laughs> is Dagon now. Dagon is a four provision, two for two or whatever it is. And uh, enjoy. He's Merry a, Christmas. He's like a legendary god, you know, deity almost for the Vorianoi. Like he could not be just, you know, a wolf pack. A it's a wolf pack. running around the forest. It's not just one wolf, Pavel. It's the whole, the whole, it's the whole pack. pack. The yeah, whole pack. Well, what hey, can they do? Like bite? Yeah. So there you go. Um, that's that's my Dagon rumor report, which is not happening. And if it does okay. happen, I hope it's terrible. I hope the. I don't know how that was more more positive than than mine. But uh, I point six percent is more than zero. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, we have to round but, down. But then, but then round it down to zero, and then you you said that if he ever comes back, you hope he sucks. So pretty much, <laughs> I think your negativity level was a little bit. Yeah, you know, I made up for it. To be fair, mind. though, to be fair, though, I I like. I think it would be more for the comedic value of the fact that after everybody's clamoring for this card to be back. And then it's back, and then it's bad, and everyone's gonna be upset. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah. uh, "What uh, did you want?" Unless, unless he comes out, he's super good, and he's like OP <laughs> or even broken. Then people would be like, "Oh my god, Dagon!" And then he becomes, you know, nerf him, delete him, do all this although, stuff. Although, to be honest, I, I think that the majority of our community <laughs> forgets about the cards that were back in the day, like oppressive and op they hardly ever like we hardly ever have someone like oh you know if this card comes out it's going to be similar to that they hardly ever do that or they just say it's just going to be broken and that's it imagine if uh what if what would happen if the new dagon like back when they released released v imagine dagon was v and <laughs> and everybody would have flipped their lids i'm like it's a powerful card it's a build around card it's a very yeah. important card and people are like oh, delete it how dare you do no justice to Dagon stuff like that? And anyways, uh, go to uh, 93shop.com, get your Dagon rumor reporter. Yes. Use the code FLIRS of five, get five dollars off your five. order. Easy, 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 easy peasy. Uh, do it. Yeah, I think we're reversing roles here, so you can do the you can do the wayback machine. All right, wayback machine. In 2019, we had the underdog leader challenge. If you guys don't remember what that was, we were taking the um, leaders which are least played. In this case, it was uh, King Demaven III, uh, Jean Calvate, and Harold the Cripple. Um, and we're going to see who from the underdogs was going to win this battle. Um, I remember it had a... Oh! Um, we had... Um, Jason, I think, came up with this. And um, I gave it the... Um, the beautiful title, Battle of the Hobos. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. I know it's bad. Yeah, I well, know it's bad. It's like the like the homeless Thunderdome, but like I yes, that's, that's so a Battle bad of the Hobos was the was the was the code name for the for the challenge. <laughs> and uh, I remember I had such a laugh about it. I would like say it on every meeting. 
And then everybody was just nodding their head and saying, like, you know, this is not going to be its official name. You know, this is not going to go through. No, of and I course was like, not. I mean, but it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's our internal one. It's funny. So, yeah, Battle of the Hobos. Dem uh, <laughs> event, Calvate, and Hire of the Cripple. Battle of the Hobos. Um, yeah. I mean, look how Dem event ended. Like, he, he was beheaded, right? Uh, Calvate, well, you know, he's a prick. And Harold the Cripple, well, you know, he's like, he, I mean, look at all these three guys. Well, totally they, could be three hobos. <laughs> this is the fun part. Is you're like, well, look at these guys, and you tell me their stories. I know nothing about the lore. So to me, it's like, okay, like these seem like all very well positioned people within like society. You have a king, you have Jan Calvate, seems well dressed and doing his thing. And then uh, I don't know what Harold the Cripple does, but. Battle of the Hobos. Uh, I don't know who won this fabled battle. However, um, again, this was all from, you know, that idea of faction challenges to a degree. Yeah. However, it was just, again, like, I think that this this particular challenge may have been the last one or one of the last one that came out, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yeah. And it, it was, was like one of the last one. It was like the last hurrah of what this whole uh, challenge kind of idea was about. And this one was geared more towards addressing the problems with the challenge, which was you choose people would obviously always choose the best faction and the best decks to get the best bonuses. So it was a very two sided coin when it came to uh, these challenges. This was like, all right, well, if everyone's going to play the best decks, let's, let's incentivize people playing the worst decks. And then that was that also made for a pretty lousy experience, no offense, because everyone's like, all right, we got to play the crappiest decks to get the best bonuses yeah. and so it's like everybody's like all right all right like let's uh let's pull this let's dust off this old thing and see what happens but um king Demon the winner was, was the winner was uh jean Calvate actually and yeah. people as rewards got um no card uh faction kegs uh for 200 or each uh, at the time and bonus XP when playing um, Calvate was like plus 50%, and then plus 40 for Harold, who was second, and third was Dem Event. So plus 30%. Yeah. Poor Dem so it was an event for that for that time. Was he the leader that, that eventually turned into Stockpile? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think so. Which is funny, because Stockpile yeah. recently saw a resurgence. Uh, came back. Came, came back. back strong. Maybe not strong, but it came back. Ah, uh, pretty strong. <laughs> not gonna lie. I mean, uh, stockpile was pretty prevalent in the previous open, right? In Gwent Open number one for this season, it, yeah. it was around. So uh, I nothing... despise no card, so for me, it's never strong. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I'm sure unless that... it's overpowered. Like Jan Calvate at the time in 2019. I'm trying to think of like what else was kind of around in three years ago at like 2019. Maybe it was like Masquerade Ball time. Maybe they just played Masquerade Ball. You know. Like at the time, uh, when did probably uh, three years ago? Who knows what came out three years who ago? Knows? Who knows what happened? I don't. I don't. Know. I, like I don't. My know. my um uh, memory span is not doesn't go back three years. Totally. Pretty much. I don't. I don't remember what I did like two weeks ago. So I don't even know what happened this morning, man. Like I. Just... Yeah. I wake up every day is a, a brand new mystery to me. So good. <laughs> yeah. Every day is something new and refreshing and you know and a challenge. Yeah, Easy. We'll, when we'll when we'll get old and you know we're tired of everything and you know we're living on our pensions, we'll be reminiscing about the good old days and then trying to think about stuff. I think it's also normal because like 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 grandparents and stuff like that, they always remember what happened like twenty years ago, but they don't remember what you know they did like a week ago. So. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um. 
So yeah. that's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is in 2017. Oh my God, that is, this, is, this, is, this is way, way back. We had the, um, the first challenger tournament champion crowned and it was life coach. Oh man. Oh. Once again, we go back to this event. I feel like yeah. I always go back to the first challenger. I think it's been a defining moment for Gwent Esports, which you and me have been a part of. That's that's one thing. And it was the start of esports for Gwent, but also it was the time where we had people like PPD and um Noxious and Life Coach, you know, playing um Gwent, which was incredible. Yeah, there was that very significant period of time at the beginning where all eyes were on Gwent and what Gwent was doing from an esports perspective, um, ponying up like a million dollars for season one, which was massive at the time and I know that the million dollars that was ponied up, I don't want to say it was quiet, but I mean, what's funny is that other companies and other entities out there would pledge this amount of money and it would make major headlines. But Gwent did it like way before, like when Magic was like, we're giving a million dollars away this year to like playing whatever. Everyone's like, holy crap, look at that. That's incredible. It's like, dude, yeah. it's like, it is incredible. It's a lot. But like, don't think like they're the pioneers of being this generous with this kind of stuff. However, Let's get real. I mean, the the prize pools today versus the prize pools back then, it was quite an ambitious investment, I got to say. Like it was obscenely obscenely generous in terms of the money that you can win. Not to mention, there was like what? There was like how many how many opens and challengers were there in a year? There was so many. Like it 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 there was a lot. Yeah, constantly stuff going and uh I mean first season was five challengers alone not counting all the other tournaments that led into it. But were there any opens as well? Weren't there opens as well? Or am I, I don't even yeah, maybe don't not remember. in season I remember, one. I remember that there were twenty. like Rebecca last time said that, that we've already had like twenty five or twenty four esports events already. It's a lot. That is a lot. That is oh. a lot. A lot of them done from the comfort of the home and a lot of them uh, done on location, but the Challenger one yeah. results. My memories of that. I mean, I watched it. Uh, my memories of that were just like the the confetti cannons and life coach on a stage. Everyone applauding his ring in the air. You know that whole that whole thing. Yeah. That uh, that image was iconic because it was a very big marketing and selling point for yeah. the game. Where you had people like life coach who were very vocal about. Um the impact of one's skill on a card game versus luck and, and coming from Hearthstone, I know that he was very, very critical about the fact that like him and Super JJ would they they basically ran a kind of like an experiment wherein at the height of you know, or like when 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 Gwent had just sort of launched out there, um Life Coach and Super JJ put in immense amounts of work. Like they did something like, okay, if we commit eight hours or ten hours a day to practicing particular matchups and putting in the work, how much would that increase our win percentages from where we were, you know, the previous season where we were only playing four hours a day, let's say. So they really ramped up their efforts. And what Life Coach said is like, despite the fact that we worked twice as hard and put in twice as much practice and twice as much whatever, it only affected our win our win percentage by like less than one percent. Yeah. So if that's the case, if the if myself and Super JJ like the best in the world at this game, 
cannot increase our success rates based on really like putting in the crap ton of work, then you know we're not interested in this game because it's no longer a matter of the better you are. Like they would say, like you know, I think they said something like in the in the legend ranks, it's like we went from we put in all the work, we went from like a fifty seven percent win rate to like a fifty seven point like eight percent win rate no. or something like that. And it's like it, was it just wasn't worth it. Than- yeah. So yeah. that's where they came to this game. And that was very important to Gwent because there was an out, a, a, a giant out, outcry. And what's funny is that what people, the translation of what Gwent, or sorry, what Hearthstone became is that people were at, at the time uh, critical of the fact that it became a, a very high variance RNG create slash discover mechanic, you know, game of luck to that degree. And at the time, people were critical of it because they're like, no, this is just too, there's too much variance and, you know, there's not enough player agency to, to, to direct the outcomes of games. But now, you know, now that we're like five, five years removed from that point where, where, where Life Coach wins a Gwent tournament, now people are embracing that about Hearthstone and, and think about it as its identity. It's like, yeah, it's Hearthstone. It's meant to be about yeah. random outcomes and random drops and random discoveries and random, you know, generated effects and et cetera. Like that's, that's been the bread and butter to a degree of what Hearthstone is. And people embrace that now. So there's been this massive shift of the mentality of what that game has was and what it is today. But at the time, people need to understand when Life Coach came to Gwent and won tournaments here, he did so because he was incredibly, incredibly impressed with how much a player's skill set would determine uh, the outcomes of games. And the best player in the world, uh, one of the best player card players ever in the world in, in any card game, Life Coach comes here and shows it by putting in the work and winning sixty grand at Challenger One. So crazy. Yeah, that's 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 the story. But yeah, I I like how you said that. I I feel like Hearthstone throughout the years have kind of embraced what they are, and I feel like they were they stuck to to their guns when it comes to being a high RNG type of game. And I feel like a lot of people. They dropped out out of it at a certain point, especially a lot of pros. But what I've seen is that a lot of them have also come back and kind of circled back all the way, um, like away from the game, saying that these are bad decisions, and then they came back anywho. So it kind of shows that the developer here kind of, you know, sticking to what they believe in and the way that they want, you know, the identity they want for the game is just good. And they stuck to it and, and it worked and people... Uh, came back, and I still feel like it's one of the most successful CCGs for sure, especially when it comes to digital, right? Because um, for me, number one will always be Magic, but Magic always has this um, non-digital um, way uh, to play it, which is the one that I enjoy the most. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. interesting. Um, what's really funny also about the first challenger is the fact that we had these beautiful minds because I don't think there's any way to to other way to like name these players like like Life Coach, like Noxious, PPD, like PPD's awesome. I got to even talk to him a couple of times and he also stayed in touch. Um so these are these are you know these are big names in gaming and esports. And they were top three. Like the the first like community person that made it was Fion uh 56. Um, that you know got 10k out of the whole thing. So you know he was in fourth place. Yeah, 
Um, so that pretty much tells you how smart they are that they were able to earn, like learn the game very, very quickly coming from different games and that they will able, they were able to perform, you know, on a, um, on such a high level, but also I feel like Gwent being the way it is that it's, 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 you know, we used to have this saying in the beginning, like, you know, skill beats luck. And I feel like, yeah, it just shows that they're just skillful pilots of anything you give them. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, well, that's the Wayback Machine. Uh, there uh, wasn't a whole lot. There was a couple, like, hot fixes here and there, nothing, like, over the top. But in terms of uh, things that went on this week in Gwent in the past, there you have it. Uh, and uh, today's topic is going to be faction identities and uh, deck archetypes and just kind of where some of these archetypes exist and the development of the archetypes and the faction identities over time and what is associated to particular factions. And it's like, you know, like these days, you know, you say something like uh, control or disruption or, or um, you know, point slam and all these like other buzzwords and stuff like that people can throw out. And they're, they're legitimate words that are, are, but a lot of the times they're associated particularly to specific factions and such. So, it's going to be fun to just kind of dig into this a little bit and how that plays into what some of these, uh, you know, I guess in terms of development as well. And, and it, it's worth a discussion because faction identity is uh, is an important thing for when you're developing cards. Because sometimes I'm I'm sure, and I, like, I don't know this as a fact, but I would assume that sometimes a card idea might pop into somebody's head and you don't necessarily know what faction it might fit into. Uh, but like the idea is is birthed in your mind, um, uh, you know, not necessarily already associated to a particular faction. It's just like you know what a cool card would be, and you just come up with an idea, and then you tinker with it, and eventually you're like, okay, what kind of card would this be? Is this a Skellige card? Is this a monster card? Is this you know a, a Squayatel card? So, um, off the top of your head, if we go through all six factions, would you be mm-hmm. able to just kind of describe what the play style is? And obviously, all the factions, all six factions, have different types of playstyles within that particular faction. But every faction kind of does something a little bit better than the others, or they have something a little bit more associated with it. If if I were to name a faction, could you give me like a, you know, a a a twenty word descriptor of what that faction can do? Yeah, I think so. All right, so I'm gonna start. We're gonna start with Squatel because I know that's your favorite. <laughs> so give me give me like a two sentence descriptor of an ide- of what the Squatel identity is. So for me, it's um, using um, sneaky tactics in order to overcome your opponent um, by the means of control, by the means of movement. Or actually, it's weird because dwarves fall into a weird spot because it's just raw raw, raw power, right? Right. <laughs> because right. the rest, they they've always been known for controlling, for moving, um, for uh, you know boosting things in your hands, so kind of concealing and doing things in um, away from 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 your eyes, let's say, or things you would not consider being powerful, like uh, a cat witcher jumping around the board and hitting stuff. Um, but these are kind of things that I would see defining yeah. the faction. No, that's that's fair. I think that's good. I think like sneaky tactics would probably be very much high up in terms of what it, it's it's meant to do. You know, when you're uncertain of what what 
the variables are, for example. Like, yeah. you know there's a trap that's placed on the board, but you don't necessarily know what which one it is right out of the gate. You can eventually yeah. figure it out based on, you know, how, when it springs, when it doesn't spring, and et cetera. Um, you know, like you said, hand buffing is another way to conceal some of the information. You know part of the variables. You know that there was a buff of two that was done, but you don't know where it yeah. went uh, and, and that kind of stuff. So that's pretty... That's a pretty fair fair one. And, and you know, we go down the line and we say that deck archetypes within those factions do vary. Like you said, there are outliers yeah. because dwarves don't do that. Dwarves are just pretty yeah. much, we're here, like, knock on sure the door. firepower. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, but also resilience. Resilience, which is really cool and has, has, you know, it's different than what it was in the beginning, but still, it's really cool to have resilience on dwarves. That new but dwarf. you also have resilience on other stuff, right? The new dwarf that gains resilience upon death blow. Giant Slayer. Yeah, yeah, that card is I think that's a really good card. I love that card. Yeah. I love the design of the card that you actually you need to, you know, you need to pretty much have death blow on a unit in order for it to, to gain resilience. But if you target the proper one, actually you need to think about how you play it. It's not just you play it and you get resilience automatically, right? Uh and correct. people hate that card. People hate that card. Oh, you want a, you want a little side note here? Fun little fun yeah. little fact. I'm just gonna slide this one in here. I didn't know where to put this in, but it just popped into my mind. I was recording a uh, I recorded um so I'm I'm traveling to New Jersey in a few hours for the Flesh mm -hmm. and Blood Pro Tour. And so I had like I had to do all kinds of recording for the whole week. Um so I did like I did like three recordings yesterday. I'm doing this this one early today. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I interviewed uh, a pro player from Flesh and Blood. And what's fascinating is that Flesh and Blood was their first ever card game and we were just oh, wow it was first ever they th what they said was they said that they played magic they did a couple magic drafts and they weren't too into it they weren't into magic okay. but then they saw somebody playing flesh and blood when it just came out and they they impulsively bought it and now they're a pro on the tour which is cool that's amazing but i love those stories and people co like come from 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 zero other ccg knowledge to a game and just well, can dominate that is another question that's a whole other question and topic in itself because whenever i yeah. interview somebody I've done 31 episodes of that podcast, and every time I interview someone new, I ask them what their origin is into card games, and specifically Flesh and Blood in that regard, and 95% of them, it's Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh, um, yeah. but there's a small percentage who are like, this is my first ever card game, and I believe that's true for Gwent players as well, but the, the whole point of me bringing this up is that this person who had never, ever in their life played any other card game, we're talking about... Um, not necessarily balance, but just power levels of cards and such. And without any coaching or leading, they on their own said there should be some kind of like rotation or something. And I was like, oh, you mean like some kind of like, you know, oh, card rotation? He's like, yeah, it would just. Yeah. And never played a card game in their life. And they're on their own came up with the idea of standard rotation just casually <laughs> and organically. Interesting. Anyway, uh, I thought I'd bring that up because if I didn't mention standard rotation on this podcast, at least once, uh, you know, yeah. it is. It wouldn't be the floors of podcast. No, it would not be the floors of podcast if I didn't mention it. So oh. uh, I'm going to weasel that one into this conversation <laughs> right now. Yeah, but it's interesting that he just came up with it by himself. Yeah, I, no, I'm telling you, man, we're doing it. CCG knowledge. We're going to have incredible. an episode. Flurza twenty is gonna be the is gonna be the rehashing of the standard rotation discussion because I'm not Yay. done with it. Because I need to educate the masses that it's not the worst thing in the world. And still nobody has convinced me. People have submitted quite fascinating arguments. Other people have told me it's stupid and it's dumb and never told me why. 
So I just discount those. But I've had some quite intelligent and very well-articulated arguments towards me about it, but they haven't necessarily convinced me that it's a bad thing. They've showed me why it can be detrimental, but they've never, they haven't given me a good enough reason why shouldn't be implemented okay next faction sorry <laughs> i told you we can we can always get back into this uh to be quite honest since since uh you already said your part i was actually thinking like two days ago or something because i started playing a little bit more uh mtg because you know the new set came out new capanna and um uh, i started you know checking out the cards like modifying a little bit the decks that i already have um of course the meta i feel like is still shaping up there are already a couple cards which which have made it to uh, strengthen some of the existing kind of archetypes and decks there and it was really i was like huh i'm really happy that there's some new stuff to play with and i'm just kind of waiting for like some old stuff to go away because it's like ah, this stuff's already boring or you know it doesn't make sense to have it anymore because there's this and this is better so yeah. it kind of was like yeah maybe maybe rotation isn't that bad oh, so it actually oh. creeped into my mind which is interesting bit. and then I, then I thought about you yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave this here this is we'll, we'll drop we'll pick this up in yeah. a few weeks because uh like i said this is probably one of my more passionate parts about it and you know i get raked through the coals for it but i'm not like i said i'm willing to have any kind of discussion with somebody about it but a lot of the criticism about standard rotation to me is is thrown at me like no it's stupid okay why yeah it's dumb. Well, that's not why? An argument right? less cards <laughs> is worse i'm always <laughs> taking cards away from you you can play with all the cards i'm just saying like anyway uh all right yeah. next faction northern realms talk to me about northern realms um the identity idea here was um for sure it was to have a lot of siege machines because that's what we wanted to highlight and we wanted to highlight of course um shield here so shielding your opponent, uh, like shielding, not your opponent, shielding your units from your opponent. Um, and to be, it was interesting when we started adding like the Aratusa mages to kind of sprinkle a little bit of, you know, magic stuff into it. But I feel like it's it's always been the, the you know, the units, the mustering and the, uh, and the siege machines. Yeah, the siege, like the, the the siege engines and such, especially when whenever there's a, um, like the scenarios typically are are probably the best encapsulations of what, and not that a particular faction is is meant yeah. to represent. And I think that that's pretty good. I would have said more so about boosting, uh, self boosting, oh, yeah. yeah, and like self and like inspiring and supporting one another, like having the more yeah. like, like a sure. very morale boosting kind of uh, faction identity, right? Like a tight knit very cohesive army that boosts and helps and this and that so that's and the mages part about it as well is pretty cool like it seems like mages are to northern realms what dwarves are to uh Scoia'tael. like they're a little I bit agree. out they're a little bit outside of what the primary objective is of it um but yeah i think that's i think that's a fair assessment i think that's uh that's a good one a lot of a lot of like we're gonna help ourselves on our side of the board we're gonna work to like our leader ability is going to support us. Our mm -hmm. our our cards are going to support us. It's not about, you know, you know. It's about bolstering our own morale and our own army's, you know, uh, cohesion. Um. So yeah, that's that's a pretty good uh, assessment. I can I can get on board with that. I like that, especially yeah. with the siege engines part. Although uh, someone someone will be saying priestess. That's that's an R. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, here's the deal. Uh, whatever the one thing is that's a problem, uh, eventually becomes the entire. 
Yeah. Like, you can tell. I, I, it's too early for me to get into this stuff, but... Yeah, we're recording on patch day uh, this time, so That's um, true. I just want to see how the changes to Priestess will actually influence. I think it still will be one of the, the, the strong decks, but uh, we'll see how strong it will be. What was, what was the change to Priestess? I completely forgot. Um, I think it's just uh, removing the fact that you do it into, like, you get, that you can use your multiple times because i think it got to to a point where you were uh oh, like resurrecting it and no no i mean the, yeah the card just being resurrected multiple times and kind of things going going crazy so uh so now the the ability has been uh changed i think she has um veil and when this unit is put back in your deck increase the number of charges by three order boost the light by one whenever this unit is inspired gains you'll charge zero so i think Huh. I don't remember what the previous one was. I haven't actually played a lot against it, to be honest. I listen. Um, like, I but it's just, it's not that big of a change, if I remember correctly. I I haven't played in in a in about a, maybe a couple of weeks, taking a little bit of time mm. off. Uh, when I did play, like when it did come out, I played a bunch. Um, yeah. got to pro rank, did my thing, had some good showings. I I never faced a priestess deck. I played a couple hundred games in the, or probably about a hundred games in the past season, uh, last season. I did not face a single priestess deck from hmm. rank three through to many like bunch of pro rank games. I did not play a single priestess. And look, that isn't to say that uh, because I did not encounter it, it is not a problem. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I never encountered it. And um, I can understand why I can feel it could be a problem. And that this might be a discussion for a whole other a whole other podcast, but I feel like cards that you cannot, you do not have an, an an option to interact with while it's getting, while it's attaining its zenith, you know, like while it's getting to its peak, if you have no way to interact with it, that's problematic. Something like Melusine, for example, that gets bigger on the board, and yeah, it has Veil, and oh. yeah, it's usually behind a defender, and that can be problematic, but you at least have opportunity to address it along its journey of growth i feel yeah. like priestess with the mulliganing mulligans and such and the ability to re resurrect it and it has you know charges and such that could be problematic nonetheless yeah. so, uh, so the only change was whenever this unit is inspired gain zeal so that was that was the change okay there you go it didn't have, it had zeal like right out of the box right like it used to just yeah con yeah yeah. So the, yeah yeah i mean having an opportunity like if you're the problem is is that if it has if it's inspired that just means you just have to boost it right and then it gets yeah. yeah so what am i a doctor like i don't know um <laughs> all right so uh next faction to discuss would be let's say i'm gonna save a particular one for last let's say skellige though right now um self-wounding um uh, for sure um uh, discarding resurrecting and I would say that, although also now playing a little bit with rain and stuff like that, but it's always been a faction that kind of relied on, you know, getting stuff back from your graveyard or throwing stuff in your graveyard in order to get it back. Um, but now I'm also kind of thinking about veterans and stuff like that. So I'm kind of going all over the place, but I would say for sure, um, self-wound for sure, you know, having stuff in the graveyard and also... And I also think just just raw damaging your opponent from time to time, right? Just just having a lot of pings on 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 stuff. 
I think that's that's a pretty fair. And again, it's fascinating to me because as soon as we start, we think we have an idea, but as we're you know elaborating on our vision of what that identity is, it typically kind of that's when new things creep in. Oh, but what about this? What about this? I think that when I when I see Skellige, self wounding again was one of the first things that popped to mind. Also, um, a lot of the points being in 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 the strength of a unit and not within the yeah. boosting capabilities they do do nice they power. will yeah they will do damage <laughs> i think that it's a very damage oriented um uh, a very damage oriented uh uh faction that wants to see pings of damage occur for yeah. for benefit either on their own side of the board or whatever oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah graveyard was the other thing graveyard play yeah. was definitely the other um the other part of it so uh Graveyard. I used to love this card, Skellige. <laughs> well, old school Skellige, and I know that I always get like you know harp on Skellige, but honestly, lately Skellige has has been growing on me as a faction. I think that I kind of was just annoyed over time of hating Skellige because because of Lippy. Well, Lippy for one, ob like obviously, <laughs> Lippy is a is training wheels for Gwent. Is what it is. It's it's the design of the deck is great. It's a fantastic design. I think it was was it Nurgard, I think who who created the deck or who was first. Um, I want to give credit uh, for this monstrosity where it's due. Um, the design of the deck is perfectly fine. I think that the design is fine. I just think that players, you know, players who attain pro rank with Lippy, it, it's not as big of an achievement as you think it is. Uh, no offense, but um, that said, I think I started. Gwent loving Skellige because the old school Queensguard list was it Queen Shield Maidens or Queensguard? I think it was Queensguard where Shield no no Queens the ones no, that would Queensguard. like Queensguard. yeah they they'd play yes. you could play them and they'd come out of the, the deck and then out of the yeah. out of the graveyard you'd play them thin out the deck you'd strengthen them they'd go into the graveyard you'd play um uh what's his name something Bondu Drake Bondu Drake Bondu yeah and he would strengthen three units in the graveyard. Then you'd resurrect them. They'd all shoot out, you know, and they'd keep coming back and they'd keep coming back. And I really enjoyed that because it was like you'd play it, you'd thin it, you'd boost them, you'd strengthen them, and they'd come back later on in the game. It was kind of like an additional veteran status to a degree, but you're constantly boosting strength and that you're strengthening these units. And I think that's another element of Gwent that has been, I don't say lacking, but they kind of, that, that Gwent design has strayed away from is the strengthening of units. Remember there was like old, yeah. old school, um, uh, was it not Manticore? Uh, Mandrake or whatever or whatever those cards yeah. were strengthened by six, that, weakened by yeah, six. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. That whole that whole concept I think is quite important, and and I think that that might be something that could be revisited. But yeah, strengthening of units, like just a lot of Skellige's point value being housed within these like brick shit houses of like units, like uh, a great yeah. sword, and you know eventually. You know, like they're immune to like reset values to a degree. I mean, exactly. obviously, there's going to be like the rain, you know, the rain uh, units that boost based on rain damage, etc. But those are always outliers. Same thing with alchemy. You're going to boost things high or whatever. But for the main part, graveyard play, strengthening self wound, I think is a pretty fair identity for Skellige. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, I, I also like the, the fact that you are able to boost your um, base strength to say, to say it like and and and. That was kind of something that back in the day also defined it, and I feel like it's kind of making a count comeback like right now. There's there were a couple of decks that I faced um, in the previous season because we're just in new season, where yeah there was a lot of you know 
you know, my I had like in my deck um, Geralt um, that resets everything and it wouldn't reset anything because there were no boosts. It's mm -hmm. just boosting its, you know, base strength. So still, these cards are OP. So nothing I can do about them. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a different type of play style for sure. And you need to know how to kind of play around it. So how about Syndicate? I think Syndicate has the most fascinating identity to it because it's really difficult to to really knock this one down and really nail it down because I have been quite a uh, an advocate for the fact that it is probably the most versatile uh, of the factions. You can go wide with it, you can go tall yeah. with it, you can get very control with it, like super freaking control with it. Um, it is, in my opinion, the faction that has the most tools and is always the most poised to exploit a meta. Yeah, totally agreed here. Um, for sure, spending coins and hoarding coins. Um, that's 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 something. Um, placing bounties. Um, using fist that has poison. <laughs> <laughs> And preaching uh, with the fire sworn in order to create a humongous uh, army of of of, uh, of those zealots and those other crazy dudes preaching to the to the great eternal fire. <laughs> crazy dudes. Um, yeah. No, and then you also have tunnel drill there. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's all. It's, yeah, it's all. It's all focuses around the crime syndicates of of Novigrad, which is. Um, the Crown Splitters, the Fire Sworn. Um, I don't remember all of them. Now that's that, that's something I don't remember. No, there's uh, Horsons. Um, what do you call them? They all had their names. I used the to Crown remember Splitters, them. the the Cutups, the oh the Cutups, yes, or whatever and then they're called. Yeah, King of King of Beggars, his 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 uh, hobo army. Once again, we're once again we're back, back to, to the, the hobos. hobos. Hey, did, did you know there's a movie called Hobo with a Shotgun? No. Uh, no do you want to guess what it's about? About a hobo with a shotgun. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> it was like this indie Canadian horror film uh, that I remember going to. <laughs> I went to the movie theater with my cousin. Like, I think it's like 20 years old by now, this movie. We went to the movie theater to see it. And it was yeah. absolutely ridiculous. It's basically like this indie, uh, low-budget Canadian production film. That was like it, it was meant to have the gruesome and absurdity um, gore aspect of like a Quentin Tarantino movie, but the writing was terrible, the premise was stupid. But it was called literally Google Hobo with a Shotgun. Um, the only thing I remember about this movie is that Ricky from Trailer Park Boys is in it. That's all I remember. Um, okay, so <laughs> are you looking so it up? Back. I know I will. I will. But <laughs> okay, first, but first. Uh, King of Beggars, blind eyes, so they turn a blind eye. Uh, Gundern, uh, tight cloaks, uh, and Cleaver, uh, Cleaver is clown sp splitters. Clown splitters? Wow. Uh, crown splitters. The clown so splitters? That is my uh, crime syndicate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know I'm annoying um, you like crazy today. <laughs> Hamelfart, Eternal Fire, of course. Cyprian Wiley. Uh, it's the cut-ups that you mentioned, so Horson Jr. And yeah, those are those are the crime syndicates. The clown splitters. <laughs> the clown splitters. The clown splitters are uh, Cleaver's gang, so the crown splitters, because there is this card when they're fighting. There is this like card 
story about a dwarf and a um, and a cut up um, being not friends, but then becoming friends at the end and fighting alongside one another. Oh, the clown splitters. Um, the clown splitters. Yeah, uh, I find that Syndicate has one of the most intriguing kind of um, source materials. I think that there's so much fascinating elements to the whole crime syndicate, the different gangs. But I also feel that Syndicate has the least amount of identity in terms of playstyle. I think I, I know this sounds weird to like it has the most rich kind of lore around it, you know, yeah. on the underworld, the the warring gangs, the 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 introduction of coins. Like coins to me isn't the identity. Coins is just another resource or tool that they use. It's another uh, way for them to play, but it's not it's not the but identity of the play. Yeah, but the, the the thing is that you had fees also and bounties and stuff like that, and and now it, and it all kind of made sense with the coins. Plus, it was one of the factions that was added as the last real separate faction to Gwent as a game. Like the only thing that happened was like previously in two thousand I don't know seventeen was. I know, you know, us adding Nilfgaard to the game. So, but Nilfgaard, if you think about it, has always been here. And Syndicate is kind of the, the newest child. But still, if you think about it, like this also happened a couple of years ago. So it's been quite some time since um, Gwent got an additional faction. I think that Syndicate has one of the higher skill caps from in, yeah. in conjunction with, or rather in terms of, of the play uh, of, the, of all the factions. I think that um, good Syndicate players have the best odds of winning matches i think mm -hmm. that that you know a, a really good player like it's fascinating because like a lot of people will, will ask me if they're when they're starting out what they should play i usually recommend monsters that's where i started um monsters or northern realms like uh, in beta gwent i started with northern realms and i liked it but it was very yeah. simplistic and in, in that regard of you play a goal that gets boosted by two and it was kind of stuff like that um, but I always tell people, don't do Syndicate. Don't touch Syndicate to begin with because you're it's not going to have a good experience. Yeah, Syndicate is kind of like your last your last boss to, to try to conquer. And it's tough. It's definitely tough because I didn't play much Syndicate when it just came out because I did, didn't... Not that I didn't care. I just was like, I still haven't mastered what's here. And I, I'm very yeah. much a, a perfectionist, a completionist when it comes to certain things. And I'm like, shoot, I haven't even... I haven't even touched like Northern Realms. Like I'm going to go into Syndicate. And then I was like, all right, let's do Syndicate. So I thought that that was cool. I would I would probably have the most difficulty nailing down Syndicate as a, of what their identity is because they do swarm. They like mm -hmm. pretty well. They do control exceptionally well. Yes, they, they do, do control very well. Yeah, they do go tall strategies. They do kind of spread mm -hmm. the love around boosting strategies with poison. They do a whole lot of stuff. Um, but in reality, they 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 do all these things very well but i don't think they do anything better than everyone else because i don't think they're the best swarm list and i don't think they're the best control list and i don't think they're the best um go tall list but they just kind of that's where i think why i think it's a very um the most skill rewarding faction is because you you have a lot less vulnerabilities and a lot less weaknesses playing these decks however you don't have as easy a path to winning so skill will get you there uh, and really influence your your win rates with it. And um, there's one other faction where I think that's true, and we can get to that in in a in a second. But uh, the next faction that I think we need to talk about is monsters. What what would you describe monsters as? 
monsters. Uh, I just want to, before, because we finished Syndicate quickly, I, I just want to say that maybe Syndicate's identity is hard to define because of the fact that it was the only faction which was kind of added, which wasn't there from the beginning and didn't have like this solid identity kind of like, you know, like embedded on it, um, like the previous, like the other factions, right? Because it was one that I was created only for the sole purpose of multiplayer Gwent. And, and it's, and it's one that I think was pooling some ideas and resources from how we were developing already Gwent, uh, for the last, um, couple of years. And it was one that wasn't in The Witcher 3. So it was something that came as a fresh new idea. Um, so maybe that's why the identity is a little bit different of it and a little bit that it pulls a little bit of stuff from from the ones that are existing, right? Because it's a it's a new creation. Don't get me wrong. I think that it's a great faction. And I was mm -hmm. I don't want to say I was skeptical at first. I just didn't care enough to, to explore mm -hmm. it at first. I explored it to the degree that it's my responsibility to know the faction for, for broadcasting and such, but I didn't play it because I just, like I said, I, I still felt like I had work to do with other factions, but um, yeah, it, I think it's a good job that was done. Like if you go to Hearthstone, Hearthstone recently in the past like couple years introduced Demon Hunter, but they already had what, like nine factions as it were, yeah. or not. So nine, nine, yeah, nine classes. And you're like, how do you create identities for nine factions that people will, will be able to sort of say that's a priest card or that's a yeah. paladin card? It was difficult. So when they introduced Demon Hunter, I was like, how can you fit any kind of more, you know, like, and they did it. They did it. I don't think Demon Hunter really distinguishes itself against all the other factions in reality. But I think that, um, I think that Syndicate does a very good job of even though I can't lock down what it's me it's meant to be known for and don't say coins because coins is a resource <laughs> it's not a playstyle I'm like I I can't lock it down but I know that it's very unique so yeah. I'm good with that I'm good with that Awesome all right um circling back to monsters huh um eating Bleeding. <laughs> this is me. This is me after a hockey game. <laughs> yeah, eating, bleeding, and loving big booties. <laughs> this is me after a hockey game. Exactly. After a ball hockey game, I'm usually bleeding. I'm usually eating, and I like big booties. I, I, yeah. I cannot lie. It's yeah. it's the truth. Uh, yeah. I think that's yeah. fair enough. But I mean, it all circles back to point slam, like you yeah, know, little... slamming points. Yeah, going down to the whole slamboree. I mean, and this is this was definitely a viable strategy. And I think that Monsters has always had the in my opinion, the most set in stone um um true to their identity kind of playstyle which was yeah. we're not going to mess with your side of the board. You know, we might tickle it here and there, but our bread and butter is by just Putting out our initiative, right? Basically, um, because yeah. even even if you look at um, variations of that point slam, you know, um, sort of mentality or identity, which is, I'm just going to put out every like pound for pound, my cards are just going to be bigger than yours. I'm not going to steal points from you. And yes, there are control related archetypes, you know, Frost with um, uh, or Keltulus and whatnot, but those mm. are very niche. Um, little pockets of that of those particular decks, and yes, they're successful, but they're not 
if you're talking monsters, you're not saying monsters is a control class because if you say that, you're basically saying. I mean, when weather was prevalent, it was uh, the way that it used to work in the back in the day, like using frost and fog and rain and all of those made sense. Um, but now, no, it's no. more about all points. But exactly, and um, thinking about it in that regard, you know, like even things like Death Wish. Deathwish has options where you're eating your own units to the detriment of your opponent's side of the board, like deal four damage or, or you know, uh, and, and those kinds of things. But now, all, mostly what people are choosing if they're playing a Deathwish list is, yeah, they'll put like a Maruna in there to steal something. They'll put, but most of it's like, all right, Detlaf to just jam a whole bunch of points. Um, yeah. You know, other other cards that you're going to eat to spawn more bodies on the board. That's more or less what it is. Um, monsters as an identity to me is just you know, big, I was gonna say big booty bitches, uh, <laughs> but you know, big point pockets that you're jamming onto the board that just have very little risk associated to them because all, no. yeah, there's no surprises. There's no, there's no follow-up as it were. It's a one chapter story when you're well, each of your turns. It's not like, okay, I'm going to play a Temerian drummer next to a try like a, an infantry and that is an ongoing saga of boost ping, boost ping. Like, that's a story in itself. That's a setup. This is like, nah, dude, I'm just jamming this gigantic, you know, son of a bitch on the board. And that's it. That's the story. Like, there's no more surprises. But I'm already way ahead of you in that regard. And I think that that's why it's a very beginner-friendly faction, I find. There's not much finesse to it for the most part. I'm not saying that monster decks do not take finesse or skill to win, because they do. But... I believe that a lot of the best monster players are more so about timing and more so about um, picking and choosing, you know, the right time to bleed and the right time to devote cards to get ahead, like yeah. to get ahead. Yeah. Monster players need to know what you're going to do more than they need to know what they're going to do, I think, in that regard. Yeah, plus I feel like they're very engine reliant, right? In this case, and they also teach a player how to how to utilize these engines and especially like key bronze cards. That are kind of there that you need to keep in mind. Um, that you either need to remove them or you need to do something about them because if not, they will s like very quickly go get out of hand, right? Yeah, I mean the the engine element to monsters is like you said, it's in the bronze bronze part where yeah. you're gonna play like the um, the Indrega larvae. You're gonna play the witch's apprentice. You're gonna do those kinds uh -huh. of things because they're worth an insane amount of points um, from the bronze category. Uh, but you're also gonna jam down, you know, like a just a, uh, you know, a, a, a foot eater uh, or a self eater. You're going to yes. slam down, you know, a Gan can or stuff like that. Like, but these just represent fat stacks of points that for the most part won't grow, but some will grow. Like the bronze package is, it's either slam or th like thrive style engine, you know? Yeah. And yeah. all the supporting gold parts are like fat boy, fat boy, fat boy, fat mm -hmm. boy. And, uh, and sometimes it gets out of hand. And that's why we see when metas are are not necessarily i don't want to say greedy but when metas shift towards decks that don't necessarily play a lot of consistent control um like mon like monster relic lists weren't going to survive in a meta where madoc and bombs were were prevalent because madoc with multiple madocs especially would have just torn through that like in a heartbeat you know, when you're yeah. just constantly pruning your opponent's board down and creating damage, it's difficult for them to 
attain Sabbath and, and do those kinds of things. And by the way, I think Sabbath is one of the coolest elements that have been added yeah. to the game. It's it's definitely I, I I like what Sabbath has done is given a bonus to certain cards, but it also gives your opponent opportunity to figure out that kind of, you know, you, you know it's coming. When you see like your yeah. opponent has 15 points on a board and you're like, "Okay, if I pass, they just jam a a she who knows and now I'm screwed next round." Like there's you know, pe- those who know know, you know, and like, and it's 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 an extra little element of it. So I, I I just want to slide in that I think Sabbath is a really cool part of the game. I agreed. Awesome. Um, we got monsters. Monsters locked yeah. down, and finally, uh, did I miss any? Uh, we did Skoya, we did Skellige, we did Northern Realms, we did Syndicate, we did Monsters. Hey, let's go to Nilfgaard because I believe <laughs> Nilfgaard has the most rich and delicious faction identities of all oh man i am i am i can officially say that i am a nilfgaard main uh for sure Ooh. for sure it is it just speaks to me i love nilfgaard i used to be a monster main for years deathwish unfortunately isn't quite what i what i want it to be these days I still think it's cool. And Larry's underperforming. Ah, yeah. Somebody asked the question actually on Reddit a long time ago for the show, saying design a plant card. And I, I'm sorry if I don't have your name offhand because I think it was an, a question asked like five or six episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, but I think we did that. We did design the. I remember I told you I, I would love to see like a, a gold Larry that had kind of its old school mm-hmm. abilities. But then he yeah. had Catwitcher, and I'm like, oh, it's like he's already <laughs> bastardized it anyway. So he ain't that good. All right. So tell me, Nilfgaard. Give me Nilfgaard in two sentences. Playing with your opponent's deck. <laughs> playing with your much. deck. Good call. Good save. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just playing with your opponent's deck. That's it. Like that's that's what Nilfgaard is is known mainly for. But I feel like there is more to Nilfgaard than just that, right? Um, but mainly, it's just you know, it's it's util- It's either getting rid of like mill, getting rid of your opponent's stuff. Or it's you trying to pull cards and kind of create, like by taking stuff from your opponent, using them to your advantage. But then we also have Colgrim and stuff like that. So where does that fall into? But I feel like it's a very, very controlly uh, faction for sure. Yeah. Um, although we've seen probably also Nilfgaard back in the day where. They were able. They were able to, you know, do some some total units and stuff like that. But it was mainly based off of the fact of your opponent getting like a lot of statuses and stuff like that. But like they do so much, they do so so much, and yeah. I and and it, I I wouldn't even venture to sentence um, description. I mean, if I were to, it would I would probably lean towards more so along disruption, um, disruption and. Um, you know, putting your opponent in uncomfortable decision points and decision trees yeah. that they have to make, you know, putting them at that fork in the road where they have to make a decision and that is not to their, you know, how many times are you like, if I play this now, they're going to copy it. Or oh, if I play this now, it's, you know, like I can't, yeah. it's incredible how many times you're like, I can't play something because I can't give them something to copy or I can't give them something like it's, it's this aura surrounding the faction that really gets into people's minds and i love 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 playing it because you're already in your opponent's head when you when you when you queue up with the black faction you're like mm. like they're like i'm like I, you are already nervous which is fantastic yeah, but let's that's ca- the point but can we just count down the amount of ways to play Nilfgaard? there's assimilate which for the long mm-hmm. for for 
several years has been for for the most part a very 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 powerful way to play it uh the go-to, and, pretty much yeah for for a while prior to that um aristocrats and masquerade ball was mm-hmm. the way before that soldiers was the way before that spies was the way but you have colgrim you have mill you have hyperthin you have yeah. um uh like soldier swarm was a thing for a while yeah um, yeah yeah that was a cool one. Yeah, it was incredibly cool. It was really mm-hmm. awesome. So there's so many different ways to play it. And people also found... like back in the day, you had like Reveal and stuff like that, right? Reveal was definitely another one. Absolutely, freaking lootly was another one. There was so many cool ways to play the faction that weren't one-off, weird kind of throwaway, you know, lab experiments. And I will always give credit a thousand percent to people who create these weird gimmicky decks that kind of lurk around for a couple days before they fizzle out. But the fact that there's so many cool ways to play Nilfgaard that are not just throwaways, that are actually threats to 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 attain pro rank with. Because you can get pro rank with Colgrim, you can get pro rank with Mill, you can get pro rank with um, you know, uh with all these different types and archetypes, but um, at its root, I feel Nilfgaard has always been about disruption, about stealing your cards, playing your strategies against you, and doing what you do better. Um, you know, uh, and and the most fascinating games to me has always been Nilfgaard, and people are going to be like, yeah, but it's so toxic, it's so annoying to play against. That's what it's meant to be. It's meant That's to the point do that. Of the faction, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> in terms of playing it, why I particularly enjoy it so much is not because I, at heart, I'm a control player, or at heart, I love, um, I love to react to decisions that my opponent makes because my my particular path of decisions is influenced by how I believe you're going to interpret my decisions. And then I can, you know, if I make a play, I'm like, I'm going to make a play because I think they're going to react in this way. And I'm going to capitalize on that reaction. You know, I'm going to bait out a card or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to force them to give me a card out of their hand that I can then copy and do stuff like that. You know? So I find that it's the most, um, the games play out, so differently and i love it because when i'm playing nilfgaard i'm i'm relying on you to yeah. give me my game plan as it were because if i'm in coming, a way, yeah like if i'm coming in, in a with way, a, yes but you also need to as a nilfgaard player i feel like you need to know your you need to know the meta a lot much like any control archetype or, or any control player needs to know what their opponent is packing so they need to know kind of how to um, use those things and what to expect from the deck. Okay, these cards are important, and and you need to like make split second decisions. They're like, am I disrupting him or am I taking his best toys and using them myself? Because you have two options, right here, or you can do kind of a little bit of both because you can also be locking stuff. You can be you can be poisoning stuff. You can be making copies of stuff. So you you, you are pretty much very flexible here but you are the like sheer control player here yeah yeah exactly and but when you're when it comes down to it sometimes where you're like disrupting your opponents like i the that all stems from the get-go when like i don't know how many like sometimes i'll play a game against what i know is assimilate and my first turn it's like i'm on blue coin it's the first turn of the game i'm like i can't give you this card I can't give you this card. I can't play this now because I can't afford to have you copy it and continue to copy it. So I have to make a suboptimal play 
to hopefully curtail your overall strategy. Because if I give you a card, uh, like that's why, like for me, sometimes if I'm playing Skellige into it, like having that first veiled unit that like that first vanilla veil unit that you can drop on the board for five points that they can't yeah. they can't drop a spy unit on or they can't do much to they can't bleed it they can't do whatever you're like all right that's not bad like that those are good stories but a lot of times i'm like do i want to play like um an on crate longship knowing that they're just going to copy the on crate longship and continue to exactly. copy like you need to think about it more right hell yeah and that is a rewarding experience for me as a Nilfgaard player because my my experience of of my assimilate deck depends on how you're going to play your deck. So it's constantly a new experience playing it. It it's there are there are decks that I will play where I'm like this just feels like this it doesn't matter what they're playing cuz I'm just going to do the same thing. I'm going to rely on the same cards to get me to the same outcome. And when I'm playing Nilfgaard, the reason why I love it so much is that every game feels relatively different. I know yeah. that the strategies that I want to employ against particular other decks and leaders is going to maintain the same thing but the way that my opponent is going to play against me is going to different is going to be different therefore the way i'm going to have to react to it is also going to be different so to me nilfgaard is the most rewarding experience as a seasoned card player as somebody who loves the game you know more than winning so if i play nilfgaard and play it really cool and 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 calm and and calculated if I lose, at least I know that I'm like, all right, I, I'm I'm getting something out of it because the the way it's it's a constant puzzle for me, and that is what's rewarding for me uh, out of Nilfgaard. And I know all of everyone's like, yeah, but it's all about locks and poison, and and Yen's invocation <laughs> is like the the worst thing ever, and and this and that, and it's like, yeah, but it's it, it's cards, baby. That's how it goes. Uh, adapter, yeah. you know take off like what, what do you it's really cool because it puts pressure on your opponent and i love that this you know whenever there's pressure put on you and when you need to double think if you're how you're gonna like execute your game plan it's it's it adds a little bit of flavor to the faction right mm -hmm. oh, i and agree that's that's cool about Nilfgaard. and i i if if square wasn't my favorite i would say probably as a player that normally i always veer towards control I think Nilfgaard would be would be like second there for sure. Yeah. Because it's a it's such a it's such a cool and uh, such I feel such a complicated also um uh faction to play. I feel like Nilfgaard is like the wouldn't you say it's like the Grixis of 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 Gwent? Grixis being I would say yes. Grix so for people who don't know, Grixis is a magic term. Grixis is the color combination of red. Which is just oftentimes um, aggression, or, maybe Demir. Uh, or Demir as well. But I mean, yeah. De Grixis is Demir Anything with, with black. <laughs> yeah, Gr Grixis is black Demir and plus blue, red. Kind of. Well, red is red is like uh, aggression and burn, but it also steals yeah. units from your opponent's yeah. side. Black is about destruction and resurrection, um, either from either graveyard. Which, uh, but also like discarding and looking into your opponent's correct. hand. Discarding and and uh and and yeah and filtering their hand and going through mm -hmm. their hand and discarding and blue, which is just sheer disruption and cancellation and 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 card draw. But also, also like cantripping and looking for stuff mm -hmm. uh, throughout decks and stuff like that. So a little bit of also also that mixed into it. And I feel like. A little bit of those colors mixed in, I would feel like it's 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 something that you know defines Nilfgaard in this case. Oh man, we can do a whole little segment about uh, color co color coding um, yes. factions. 
Uh, we'll save that actually because I think that's a really cool thing. Uh, we'll oh, we'll yeah. get we'll get past that. Uh, yeah. So anything else you want to talk about faction identities before we go to the mailbag? Um, let's put it this way. What do you think is the? I mean, for me, my favorite faction is Nilfgaard, but I feel like mm-hmm. one of the more well-rounded factions for being able to do a lot of good things is probably I'll still say Nilfgaard to a degree, but I think that <laughs> Syndicate is is uh number two for me and then uh probably scoyatel is the is the one after that for me it's scoyatel after that it's um for sure nilf card and after that is monsters i used to love playing monsters because i feel like monsters are um maybe not easy to play but they they have a very strong like we talked about they have a very strong identity and they have a very strong game plan game plan in terms of what they want to be doing right and i feel like it's always fun to pilot these decks um although when i think about stuff like you know like like um any type of bleed or with vampires and stuff like that that's that's also something quite interesting when it comes to the faction that only doesn't rely on the fact of having toll unit and just eating the other toll unit and eating the other unit in order to eat the other unit, right? Yeah. So, uh, but I used to love playing consume. I used to love playing consume. But now, when I think about it, I also loved playing like discard Skellige back in the day. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but I would say those are my top three for sure. Um, I know that we get this question a lot. We'll go to the we're, we're going to go to the mailbag in just a second. Um, for those who are at, like, we get the question a lot about if we were to redo or bring back a particular archetype. And I think that that's, that's probably a discussion in itself. We've talked about archetypes and stuff. We talked about faction identities, but we'll, we'll get into archetypes in a future episode and talk a little bit perhaps about, um, the importance of archetypes, uh, and that kind of thing. Anyway, um, I know that you and I probably have archetypes that we want to see revised. Uh, you know what? This could be our mission for next week. You and I were, are going to create uh, or, re- or revitalize a particular archetype, and we need to show up with four cards for that archetype. Mm. So you're going to have to put your design pants on, and uh, that's what we'll do. Um, and I'm going to need, need someone to help me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. We can put out a call to the community if you guys want. You guys can tweet at myself or at Pavel and uh, just tell us, say, like, oh, you know what? Like, um, how would you envision X type of archetype? Or if we mm-hmm. were to bring back this type of archetype, how would you see it? I know that I've already designed about three or four cards, uh, four or five cards rather, regarding what I believe a new reveal style could be. And I want to kind of go back and tinker with that because I, I made a video about it and I think that it has a lot of uh, interesting elements to it. So uh, Jean and Malegion, if you're listening, these ones are, <laughs> next week those ones will be free for you. But uh, yep. Shall we go to the mailbag, my friend? Of course. Welcome back to the mailbag, where we answer your questions from Twitter and from Reddit. And the first one is from great username, Kent Quit Gwent from Reddit. What is the most commonly used language in CDPR slash the Gwent team? How many nationalities are represented currently? Oh, man. That's a great question. I mean, I've been there uh, at Mm -hmm. the studio and I've met, like, like, just right now at that studio, you walk in there, you've got Ryan. Ryan's German, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Vlad's Russian. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's obviously um, so many people who are Polish. Um, 
I mean, besides the casting team, like that, I don't think that that counts. But just on the CDPR team, besides, I mean, I know personally of Ryan and I know of Vlad and, you know, the amount of amazing Polish people. Who else is there? I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of people from the States. There's a lot of people from Spain. There's a lot of people from Italy. There's a lot of people from almost, dude, everywhere. Like, um, I think when it comes to CDPR as a company, um, it used to be a team and a company that consisted mainly of a lot of Polish people. But I feel like since Witcher 3 and after, it's just been growing in terms of the nationalities that we have within the studio itself. And I think it's a, it's a total like melting pot right now. So there are people from all around the world uh, speaking multiple languages. And, but the, the, the most commonly used language is English, of course. Um, but of course, we tend to sometimes have meetings where there are only Polish people. This happens very rarely though. Um, where we talk in Polish, although the most important thing in, in our, like in our, you know, internal company culture is to actually, whenever we have people that don't speak Polish is to always use English so we can all kind of communicate and understand each other. So that is always the, the most, the most important thing. Although sometimes we might use Polish when we're talking like, um, when we want to, you know, talk quickly with only like the Polish speaking people. And then um, we see that the English speakers, they kind of, or, or, or German or anything, they kind of pick it up and they kind of use that language. But I mean, for us also, like the best example would be the, you know, the community team, which we're kind of part of, is like you have people from Germany, Italy, France, Brazil, Spain, Japan, Korea, China, um and yeah and i'm probably for you know poland and i'm probably also forgetting a couple because there's like 11 languages um total and oh and arabic also now so you know it is it is a lot a lot but it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful that's one of the reasons why i, I love living where i live here in canada in montreal and toronto specifically because it's like you said giant melting pot it's incredible yeah. you walk down the street and there's you know uh there's people speaking, you know, Greek. There's people speaking. Yeah, it's awesome. Ukrainian, Polish, French. Uh, it's it's beautiful. Some people don't like that. I think it's a, a a brilliant way for just us as human beings to progress. And I to, agree. And to learn about different cultures, to learn about different languages, mm -hmm. to learn about different belief systems and how people operate and how they're different from us. I think it's amazing that we get to experience this. And I always never like understood the fact that why people think that this is something something bad. And we also have also a lot of people from Ukraine and the and the company that this has been something that has been even happening before, of course, the war in Ukraine. But still, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people from Ukraine, Russia, and stuff like that. So we're we're getting like really really a lot of people from all around the world. And I feel like it's it's. If you look at you know where we're placed, we're placed in game dev, and I feel like game development is a place where people from different nationalities will always kind of come to because you know it's a it's a it's like a global growing phenomenon, uh, and I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool, and thanks to this, I got to meet you know a lot of amazing people. I've always been into linguistics. Uh, I mean that's that's what I majored in. 
um, mainly, of course, focusing on English, but you know, it's it's also awesome to kind of learn about different languages, different cultures, diff you know, all that stuff that I mentioned before. Well, that's what's cool about it is that, like, you know, within the video game realm, doesn't matter where you're from, you're all plugging into some sort of fantasy land that nobody has uh, a passport for. We're all online. Well, that's it. <laughs> well, basically, like, you go and plug into Gwent or you plug into overwatch or you plug into apex legends or you plug into hearthstone or you plug into whatever you know that that source material that that lore that you're you're trying to enjoy like i said nobody's a citizen of rivia you know or nobody's a citizen of uh wherever the hell else yeah you know you are it's it's this yeah. common ground that we're all a visitor to so it doesn't matter where you're from because we're all here to enjoy the same thing and that's what's so beautiful about you know, video games or whatnot, is that you can be in Korea, you can be in, uh, you know, uh, God knows, in Kenya, in, in the UK, in uh, Chile, but you're all plugging in to play the same game and enjoy the same fictional fantasy land, as it were. Exactly. So you're all, that's, the, you're all temporary citizens of the same place, and I think that's a, that's just a beautiful thing in general. Yeah, and we're all connected by one thing, which is, you know, this this shared love for a game, for whatever we're into. And this is kind of what this is the good part of the internet, I would say. This is this is the, the good stuff that the internet brought us is able to connect with other people from all around the world that have the same like passion or same interest and kind of sh like talk about it but share it. And also from my perspective working as a community manager mainly is kind of also learning about uh, you know, different players and different player tastes around the world and kind of what they look into, what's important for them. It's like a whole really cool, interesting, like a subsection of the whole thing, which I which I enjoy. Beauty. Uh, next question is from Andy Ursina. Uh, thank you so much, Andy. Andy always uh, submits great questions. Andy, Andy dropped three here. We're going to pick the first one because I think it's the most Ooh. fascinating one because I think we already answered the one about the card arts and such. We've done that in the previous episode. Uh, the question is, could it be possible to make a video or a short documentary about how a typical day in Gwent de uh, development looks like? I'm super curious, what is a routine in between new patches and seasons? Perhaps this is a topic for another Flurza episode. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that you did once do a video, I think, was it at Challenger 4 season 1 or 2, or where you walked through the studio and gave a little backstage pass tour where you did the whole, like, Hi, I'm Pavel Burza. This is the CDPR studio. Let's go take a actually, walk. And you did like this actually thing. Pofko Gale. Uh, me. Yeah, that's it. And then you walk through the studio and it's like a fast forwarding and then you're like, here's the designer thing. And I'm Pavel Burza. And these are these are Punchki. Let's go to this place. And then you walk yeah. there and it's like, hello, I'm Pavel Burza. I'm I'm just <laughs> joking around. Um, but I I I am to Andy's point, I'm also quite fascinated about the development process and such. And I don't know nearly as much as you do. But, you know, in between patches, what people also under need to understand is that the cards that I would imagine, the cards that we see most recently, for instance, Forgotten Treasures, you know, when Forgotten Treasures leaked, or not leaked, or was dropped, it's not like, okay, it's dropped, now let's go start the next thing. It's that Forgotten no. Treasures drops, and you're already almost done the next thing, and you're already yeah. in early development of the next yeah. two things. So Advanced development, probably. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So, you know, uh, I'll let you tackle this one. Um, it's, it's a difficult one to tackle because, um, there are a lot of 
different departments and they operate in a different way when of course when it comes to game design the designers have pretty much patches laid out as in terms of like what they want to do till the end of the year easy um so we're currently at 10.5 i think they're all the way up to 10.10 already or 10.11 even so yes we're planning fully in advanced um when it comes to other teams they have things called sprints in which they um after they plan stuff they have sprints when it comes to implementation so they implement some things and it looks different for teams like live ops or uh, for the whole production teams, uh, production teams, I would feel I would feel like they're more agile and they're more um, based on what's currently needed and what should be done. Um, our teams also working, uh, you know, out in advance because uh, the sheer amount of needed to create arts for uh, cards needs to be needs to be done very very early. Uh, because you start from sketches, then you go to you choose a sketch, then you go from one iteration to the other. And then you need to take into account that that card needs to be premiumified also. It needs to have voice lines. Um, so there's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a whole kind of, a lot of moving pieces of the puzzle. Um, I feel like for us as, as, as communications, I think it's the easiest because we're based off of what's going on within the game itself. We know that we do monthly communication, but if anything goes crazy or anything happens, we need to be reactive and we need to be online pretty much always um, if something is going on, especially when it's a 24-hour live service like Gwent is uh, with people playing around the clock. Um, so I, I, I would say it depends on the, um, you know, depends on the department. I haven't even talked about like programmers, about two programmers, about uh, backend developers, frontend developers, and there's there's like, I mean, every team operates in its in its kind of own way. But mm -hmm. maybe the stuff that I just said kind of gave you a more or less an idea of what it is. Um, but for sure, I would like to do another video where we kind of go in depth into who's doing what. But I also feel like videos don't always give you one hundred percent of what they feel kind of staged. They don't give you, you know, the, the day to day. And I feel like just taking one day from a developer will not sell how, how much work they're actually doing, you know, throughout a week, month, year and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a big undertaking. And like, if you want to do a documentary yeah. about it, like, I feel like it's a 30 minute thing at the very least 30 Easy. minutes. To, yeah. Um, cause I like every time I think about it, I'm like, Okay, but we should we should probably elaborate on this for like two or three minutes, and that and you should probably talk about this. Probably talk about this. I don't know how you know the ins and outs of this kind of stuff, but uh, it's definitely uh, pretty cool. Uh, yeah. All right, next up, go for it. Okay, next one's from Ladon, a one that we didn't touch, I think, last time. Um, but he or she is trying again. Um, I think TLDR. It's about kegs. Our our kegs kind of less attractive now when it comes to the, the amount of card drops that we have and their sheer size and stuff like that, and kind of when will players get more kegs and stuff like that. And I feel like it made, I mean, it made sense back in the day when we had um, expansion launches like Crimson Curse, like Novigrad, Way of the Witcher, blah, blah, blah. Um, and for that once, it made sense to, to have separate kegs. 
But now with the smaller, smaller, let's say, launches of when it comes to the, the sheer size of cards, um, the new kegs will come probably closer to the end of the year when we have all the drops that we want to do this year kind of come out. And that's when you'll be able to, to open kegs. For this, for this year, pretty much what we wanted to do is to focus more on... Um, you know, adding a little bit of cards to make things attractive, but mainly focus on the fact of um, going back and kind of fixing archetypes and fixing cards which feel like they kind of fell out uh, when we are adding new stuff to the game. So that's why kind of kegs lost their identity and are less important, I would say. Um, but I think it's also something that you will see with, with probably other resources uh, to some extent, maybe with not you know, um, stuff like scraps and, but, or probably yes, but scraps and reward points are things that kind of, that are used the most right now. So I would say that maybe kegs kind of fell out a little bit, but it's only for now, right? Because our kind of internal agenda is more to focus on, uh, fixing the things that we have within the game and kind of adding small amounts of cards, which you're pretty much able to craft and kind of, you know, add to your deck if, if needed. Well, so that's my answer. Yeah, the problem, I, in my opinion, is the fact that the, the current card drop situation does not support kegs. It just doesn't. Like, if there's, a 12, if there's a 12 card drop, and like six of the cards are legendary, but you maintain the legendary drop rate, you're going to be opening kegs looking for the legendaries, and you're going to get the same rares 9 out of 10 yeah. packs. So is that what you want? I'm not saying it's an ideal solution. I'm not saying it from the perspective, but they make a good point as well when they say like the whole point of getting to prestige five or 10 is that you're getting a lot more value out of your kegs. And a lot of people will hoard their resources to get to these points where they are opening their kegs and getting the premiums and, and really maximizing the value. And I know I'm the same way. So I'm sitting on God knows how many kegs, like a thousand or somewhat, excuse me, kegs plus gold that I'm never going to open until I get to, you know, prestige 10, which I'm really close to. But even then, I'm like, you know, what's the point? And I'm not saying what's the point, but like, I get the appeal of opening kegs. The problem here is that there's nothing in my in my opinion, there's nothing of value for people to spend their gold on once they have a collection. And yeah, and and listen, and like, this is my opinion, and I'm not speaking for everybody, nor am I um, speaking. You know, I'm I'm merely speaking for myself, and my opinion is that. I have no interest in draft at all. I do not like this draft mode. I don't think it's good. And if that's the case, once I have a collection, the hell am I else going to do with these kegs? Yeah. What am I going to do with the money? There's a significant appeal to opening new cards. I totally get it. Trust me. I love it. You love it. Sitting there, cracking packs, doing it. It is new expansions are great. But when you're dropping it's what 12... we grow up doing pretty much. <laughs> hell yeah, man. Like, listen, I'm 36. I have boxes of cards i have a box of cards that i'm like so sad that i can't open because i didn't have time because i got it two days ago and i've been so busy yesterday and i'm on a flight in three hours and like all this stuff so in my head i'm like i just want to sit down and open these cards even though i own all of them even then but like there's an appeal to opening kegs there's a definitely an appeal to that that yeah. dopamine hit of finding those cards but the way that the card drops now are are are, are created like you know do you really want a a uh, what is it? What's the current? I forgot. A forgotten treasures keg that has 12, yeah. 12 particular things. Or uh, how how many forgotten treasure cards are there? 
21 cards, right. if I remember correctly. So but let's yeah, say that's 21 how cards. Many how many is... for 21 cards? <laughs> well, but like, but that's the thing. And again, if you maintain the legitimacy of the drop rate for legendaries, which is X amount of percent of packs are going to have a legendary in it, then you're going to open, you have to open 50 kegs or 60 kegs to get like five legendaries, let's say. But of those 50 kegs, you're getting how many cards? 250 cards of a 22-card yeah. set? Like, is that the best in, 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 in way? I think that there's this disconnect now with the the way to acquire cards and the way and the rate at which they're getting dropped because keg systems yeah. are... The keg systems for factions, I think, is good for players coming in and trying to flesh out collections and explore certain factions. I think that's a good thing. The problem is, is like I said, uh, kegs with 12 card drops just don't make sense they don't make sense yeah. and i can get the whole point about kind of I, I i honestly believe that the best way to do this is with with scraps or gold like just do something where you're spending all your gold on the new 12 card drop and i'm i i've been very vocal about this gwent needs more cards it needs more drops 12 the mm -hmm. 12 or the 20 some odd cards that came out were very unique they were very impactful. They were great, but dear lord, do we need more? Um, and and it's just it's just my opinion. So to answer the question or whatnot, have you plans on solving this someday? And when will the new kegs drop? I personally don't know because I don't work for CDPR. But um, I I do agree that the current way to acquire cards and the whole keg system is completely misaligned with the amount of content that's being released. Yeah, right now the, that's that's how it is. But it's like it's something that I mentioned in the beginning. It's it's what we want to kind of do to first focus on reworking existing stuff and then think about you know starting to add a little bit more new stuff and then more kegs would actually make sense. And right now kegs don't really make much sense because you need to you just need to craft the the, the cards that we're adding in. And if 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 you want to wait, which I think with the majority of players they won't wait. Like I said, kegs uh, for all the sets that are coming out um, this year will come out closer to the end of the year. Cool. Uh, next question from Jadmanthrat. Uh, interesting name. Uh, why aren't seasonal modes more popular? They offer quite different slash bent special rule sets and have their very own meta and anti-meta. And while people seem to want more different game modes, ways to play the game in general, the seasonal mode uh, appear to be widely disregarded by a chunk of the community. Uh, you want to tackle this one first? Yeah, I feel like for Gwent, uh, multiplayer and and the way that it's the rules that are there was was kind of always the 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 means for for the game how it should be played, right? Um, and I feel like it has stuck in the players' minds that they want to you know they want to grind the ladder and they want to go as high as possible in the ladder and and focus solely on that. And they treat seasonal as something on top of that. Of course, I know there are people who enjoy only playing seasonal, nothing against that. But I feel like, um, you know, always playing and trying to get as high in the ladder as possible for, for the competitive nature of, of any card game is going to be the thing that draws you the most to it. Um, yeah, and that's just that's just my answer pretty much. I mean... Um, I know for myself, I, I just like playing constructed and in a in a ranked format, and 
that's kind of always been my go-to. I don't know, it's maybe because I was coming from Magic or um, that's how the game, I feel like how the game should be played maybe. Uh, but I have nothing against people who enjoy draft, who enjoy um, different uh, play styles. And maybe there are players that only play seasonal, but then go for it. But I also feel like seasonal kind of limits you to the yeah. amount of things that you can do. And I feel like multiplayer always will have a little bit more variety. Maybe that's what players are going for. Right. And uh, I, I, I echo that sentiment in terms of lim like it's limiting. Uh, different rule sets. The reason why Gwent rules are the way they are is because it, it creates, it houses the best environment for the most amount of archetypes to thrive and be viable. When you change the rule set, you're essentially, you're going to be favoring one particular style of play or, or faction or something over the others. And for that reason, it's like, for example, if you're playing, um, you know, something that requires a lot of you know, APMs, actions per minute, as it were, a lot mm -hmm. of clicking and a lot of things to do, um, you know, like, for instance, like, uh, like a Nilfgaard list or a lot of point and click siege and stuff like that, you know, that's when blitz mode of, of you know, 10 second turns or whatever is not really going to be ideal. So you, immediately you're just, you're racing the viability of various different cards and factions out of it because you just don't yeah. have, it will not exist, it will not thrive within a particular rule set. So in that case, suddenly you know either you're cutting out a lot of stuff and not making it viable or you're you're putting certain very limited amounts of cards and archetypes on a high ass pedestal and saying this exactly. is the best way and then the same reason people complain about metas is the same reason people are going to avoid this because eventually and you'll see it everywhere it's that someone will figure out the ideal way to play something and it's usually Nilfgaard and they'll be like, all right. <laughs> but that's the thing. And that, that's part of it, too, is that people already hate Nilfgaard so much. So when you go to seasonal, Nilfgaard, for many options, has the best opportunities to do things because it's so versatile yeah. um, that they're going to avoid it because they, they, they don't want to be pushed into a scenario that people already hate, which is homogenization of, of metas and, and stagnation and like one or two decks that are basically on top. The, the protagonist and the antagonist, the, the meta and the anti-meta, you know, coming together. It's there's this is the strongest deck and this is the only thing that can take it down and everything else is moot. So that's why I think that seasonal modes are less popular is because they, they, they're easily broken. And once yeah. that's been discovered, everybody's going to play it because they want to score the wins and complete the quests. And I don't play it because it's just, that's not why I play cards. I play cards because I enjoy you know, the the variety and the challenges and such. And I don't get that in, in seasonal mode. You know, it's like I, I picked up Hearthstone the, this past month again. And eventually I was just like, I can't play Constructed anymore because it's the same deck over and over and over again, even in the bronze ranks. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I don't play seasonal because there's super strong decks that'll just completely overtake everybody. There's not much room for creativity despite the fact that the rule set is creative. Yeah, totally agreed here. Perfect. Perfect. We're on the we're on the same page. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, was that the last question? No. No. no, no the two last more. question is there's two more. Okay. Um, oh yeah. As uh, from not too creative here. Uh, cool. Cool. Cool name. Uh, you mentioned the desire to speed up a typical game of Gwent. Why not have an opt-in for each ladder game that if each player agrees to, you have a quicker turn timer. 
or another idea, something gimmicky like a zero provision gold card that goes straight to the graveyard and banishes itself up on up on the mulligan phase. And if both players have it, the quicker timer is in play. Oh my god, this is already too this is already too complicated. Well, it's complicated <laughs> until you try to break it down. It's basically what they were saying here is so the premise is uh, or, or the objective here is to speed up the game if it's yeah. desired by both players. So not too creative here essentially presents uh, an opportunity as a kind of opt-in. So yeah, rather I than know. when the game queues up, you click how long you want the game, the turns to last, like 10 seconds, 15, a minute, two minute, whatever. Rather than that, they're saying, why not include a card that it's like one of those, it's one of those check cards where it's like the game starts. Do you have it? I have it. Perfect. We're in agreement. This is how this game's going to be played. Hearthstone does this a lot. They did it mm -hmm. with a, uh, they did it with a card that exactly to this degree of speeding up the game. There was, I for, I think it was, it was Nosdormu or whatever the recruit, the re, the rework of Nosdormu in um in Hearthstone was if both players have Nosdormu in the start of their deck or in their starting deck, then turns last eight seconds. So that's what they're talking about here. Is yeah. that's what they want. But they what they said is that it's a card that starts in your opening hand that costs zero provisions. If both players have it, the cards get banished and turn timers are like 15 or 20 seconds yeah. in that. So I know, that, but would that would that make sense in 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 the ranked play? I don't I don't well, think so. Would everybody be on, on the same playing field? Well, no. that's that's the that's the argument here and this is why I don't think it's a good idea because yeah. eventually you cannot play to a rule set that kind of it's a I mean it, to a degree I guess, but it's again, it's a gimmicky thing, and yeah, it's too and, gimmicky. and it'll never. There, everyone is on the same rules, and they play the same way, and it's kind of a shorter timer because we we shortened the games because we wanted to, them to be more, you know, faster and more, you know, dynamic instead of waiting and playing and for it to take a long time. Or uh, we're trying to introduce like a additional mechanic that if you opt in or if you do something, you might have the possibility to play faster and i feel like it, it's it's not it, w it wouldn't make sense like in casual play of course but not not in ranked play because you, you know some i don't know i don't know i feel like it's too it's too gimmicky like you said well the the problem with it is that it doesn't necessarily offer anybody an advantage like if you yeah. think about it if you if your deck is set and and designed for quick play of like all right let's say you do get a 10 second timer so you're going to play like monsters that doesn't have a lot of clickables and a lot of of you know um player interaction as it were yeah. so what do you do you put that you put that card in uh, we'll call it and the, your opponent is playing elf guard control and is not yeah, doing that. and they're not going to do it and then you're like okay so like you're giving you're giving all the does all the advantage to the player on the other side to say okay like i got a deck that's going to go super fast i'm going to put this, this zero provision card in the deck because I want to go fast, and if I find somebody who wants to go fast, then I'm gonna I'm gonna be good. But you think that yeah. the person who's putting the other card on the other side of the deck, in uh, putting that card in their deck, doesn't also want to go fast? So, and the player who has a lot of things to do, like let's say it's Skellige or this or that, you think that they're just gonna not they're just gonna not put it in? So it it's it's a not viable solution because nobody's gonna, and it's the reason why Nosdormu never took off. Because no one cares. Because you just don't put it in, and you're fine. And yeah. it's it's the it is the <laughs> cheapest removal of all time. If of just not including a card in your deck, and it cancels yeah. another card, like that's ridiculous. Like that's super awesome, in my opinion. I'm like, sure, absolutely, let's do it. 
And uh, what's fascinating about it as well is that when you're queuing into a game and you've got like those 20, 25 cards or whatever, you're, you're also including a zero provision card to get to 25. So are all your other cards stronger and thinned out? Like it, it's also a little OP in that regard that if you're just banishing a card out of your deck that costs zero for free, you're now playing with a 24 card deck all 24 cards are sharing extra provisions uh, and are, are a lot stronger. And you're like, okay, so it's, it just, it's, it's not a viable situation. But I get I why. And the objective here is to make Gwent games faster. But I then have to completely go on the tangent of why do you want games to go faster? Like, I, I get that... Um, no, it's, it's something that should happen in Gwent because I feel like the games tend to last a little bit too long if you think about it and there are some players that don't want to play that long but i mean there's always escape enter if you feel like you, you you've lost but i feel like gwen this... itself being like a best of three format built in i mean you will always take your chances and but it's a 12 or 15 minute game later if it's like this 12 or 15 minute card game like that it's it's a difficult game to play like this Dude. is what people need to understand is that gwen yeah. is a tough game to play and people are like yeah but you can you can knock out a hearthstone game in like seven minutes yeah, okay, yeah. you can play aggro, go face, and that's the thing. But Gwent is in Hearthstone. And with magic. Yeah. yeah you, can, you can also play. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's a different type of animal. But, you know, we're, we're talking to people who now have the attention span of a TikTok. So <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Kind of, that's kind of the expectation sometimes, that you want things to be faster and more dynamic. I kind of get it because um, we're all this, you know, dopamine nation kind of like we want fast hits of dopamine and stuff to be happening instantly. and Woo, awesome, we feel great. And then what happens after that? Like no one takes it the time to um to sit down and read a book almost. Uh so what are we even talking about? To read an article even it's too long for people now. Yeah. They want everything in, in, in blinks happening quickly. Yeah, like there's so like, maybe that's the problem. The people, problem is with, with society overall. <laughs> well, I mean there'll be an article of like five hundred words and people are like, I didn't read it, just give me the TLDR. Like yeah. five hundred words is like like you can three minutes, like you can get the whole picture and yeah. you know uh, i get you um yeah. i i'm i'm of the type is like why like you know why just make a baseball game three innings you know yeah just make it three innings or play the whole thing yeah. yeah just play three innings play uh you know make a soccer yeah. game 10 minutes why not yeah. like same with cycling why are you guys riding your bikes for six seven hours just yeah. just, just 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 do, do 20 five minutes kilometer sprints, yeah. right <laughs> you have the whole rest of the day it's all good yeah. but then people are like well that's stupid because now you're taken away from the game well you're also taken yeah. away from grant gwent by speeding it up and yeah, making exactly. it you know like why in that case make Gwent one round and make hands five cards there you go yeah. that speeds up the game that's a that's cool, a better cool solution the that's games are so much faster know. that way i'm just saying that'd be uh, fun like one one round just all in they did that that was a seasonal mode that was yeah. seasonal mode. It was one round, and it was ridiculous, <laughs> and because it was basically just mulligan for your best cards. There was and no play your best cards. Play, yeah, there was absolutely no. It was just like fit, load up your deck with tutors, and aggressively mulligan for your best cards, and then just hope you don't go first. <laughs> yeah, destroy. Yeah, and go second. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question is from Cuddlebear Potato. Uh, can we get more leaders in draft mode? Um, Hopefully, yes, in the future. But wait, so Unless here's we the... have more time to work on draft. Well, well, the question is, <laughs> is this is what I think I asked you off off air was: Are not all leaders available to be drafted? 
No, no. Okay. I think it depends on the on the packages that we have within the game. But I'm also not the person that plays a lot of um, of draft, so I'm not I'm not not a good example here. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel that's that's the problem. But I feel that the, the ongoing problem with um, draft kind of is just you know limited time available and allocated to it itself for us to actually you know do the mode justice 100 so i feel that's that's where the problem is um and that means more leader abilities that means means more packages and stuff like that so hopefully in the future we can just have more yeah that's all good i mean i've i you know my opinion about draft mode uh, I know. <laughs> i've said it publicly and privately and i've been dismissed uh, heavily so uh i'm not gonna harp on it uh i don't play it i don't think it's good that's just me uh, it needs love. I well, agree. it needs. It doesn't necessarily just need love because I don't think that I, I. I completely believe that there's a lot of love put into it and an effort. I just mm, believe that. Not the, enough. Well, I mean, not enough. I. I just believe that the the format is flawed, and that's basically it. That's just me. And I've played draft in multiple different card games in multiple different formats, and the current format as it exists is not feasible. Um, and there's a reason why this whole pocket draft with exchanging cards, etc., that was done by like Legends of Runeterra did it, and they dropped it because it did not succeed because it was not a good mode. I mean, it's just the fact they're like, no, this isn't working. They scrapped it, and they're going back to the drawing board. Um, yeah, and also, a lot of players want us to go back to a previous arena. So, of course, look, you know, I'll give you ten words about this, as it were, but. Pocket drafting is not good because, and especially when, because by, by the third or fourth round, your deck just looks like a constructed deck and it's no longer draft. Uh, yeah. When you're, when you're drafting three cards together that synergize, it's, it's, the work is done for you. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's not always going to be easy. I want, what I want is you open up, uh, um, you know, like you have multiple rounds of like opening big kegs in each of those kegs are random amounts of cards. You pick one, you pass to the left. You pick one, you pass to the left, and everything's available. Yep. And good draft players will be able to see what factions are being taken, what factions are not being taken. Like you open it, like in my opinion, it should be something along the lines of like you start with um, every every box or whatever has like two cards of each faction and and like four neutrals, and you pick and mm -hmm. you pass, and you pick and you pass, and you do like three rounds of that. And you're drafting against other people. Yeah. And then at the end of it, uh, you or like even as part of that pack could be like a leader ability, you know, so maybe the leader ability in that pack sucks or maybe it's good, but there's also a really good gold card and you have to yeah. pick it. And you have to make decisions and you're drafting against other people. So you understand that's how magic does it. That's how flesh and blood does it. That's how all the successful draft modes do it. That's there's, how limited is, is kind of meant mm -hmm. to be played in a way, right? Because right now. I like the last time I queued into draft like several months ago, I went seven and zero and had absolutely no fun because I'm like, oh, I'm just playing Nilfgaard Assimilate. I have three Brathens. Yep. I have three of these. My leader ability is good and I'm able to trade out the cards that are garbage. So by round five, my deck is n not only co constructed worthy, but better than constructed worthy because I have two Brathens. I have two of these, three of these, four of these. I'm thinning out five cards at a time. Like it just, it became less about finding intricate interactions and weird uh, and weird synergies that are cross-faction and f and more so it's like 
putting a, a Svabled Priest next to a Death Wish unit, you know? Yeah. You don't get that. And that's freaking awesome. It's just really cool in that way. So that's those are the kinds of little interactions that I find are are fun from draft and that reward players that are paying attention. You know, it's like, do I really want to go down the route of Skellige and and draft a Skellige synergistic unit if I know that the person to my right no, passed you want me? To build something weird. <laughs> yeah, you know, like uh, I I just find that this draft mode is just fundamentally not good. And uh, but I mean, that's just. That's my opinion. Maybe maybe it just needs a needs a new revamp. I don't know. I don't know. To be honest, you know, if I if I was more of a of a draft player, I would be able to probably give you answers. But I feel like the way when we changed, uh, you know, from arena to draft, and the idea that we had, and it was kind of an idea that Jason was very very fond of, in, in, in terms of like making the packages and stuff like that, he was very hands on uh, to that when it and and kind of when he transitioned into um, his new role. Uh, I feel like it was kind of abandoned and I feel like there is a little bit of maybe a lack of uh, of an idea how to take it forward and someone to actually have like a solid vision for it. So maybe if someone actually, you know, gave it more love, it would make sense. Or if we just revamp it once again, but I don't know if, if players would want us to revamp it once again, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. It's like an ongoing also discussion internally like what to do with it i've said my piece i don't talk about it anymore <laughs> privately i don't uh <laughs> yeah that's a that's a discussion privately for another day um no. all right that's the mailbag ladies and gentlemen we do as Got always it. appreciate you guys sending in your questions and again um i know that we get comments of like you know i can't believe i didn't get my question answered it got the most upvotes we don't care about upvotes no offense but like <laughs> reddit points and all that other bullshit doesn't yeah. matter to us no offense like we like questions don't, don't that care we like. don't care that it, it, fake internet points do not concern us so we we read the through the questions that are posted we find the ones that we think that are relevant or that we are able to answer because if we yeah. don't answer a question it's because we don't either we don't care about it no offense or we just don't have an actual legitimate answer to it if you're saying like yeah. In, you know, don't ask us about when we're going to balance a particular card or something like that, because we, Pavel and I don't balance shit, so... We won't balance, yeah. Sorry. May ain't happening. Yeah, I mean, we could we could go back and ask the designers, but that's that's, that's that's all we can do, but I don't feel like you know, we're, we need to answer instantly, like, oh, yeah. when are you going to balance this? Like, whenever... Tweet at Malijan. Right, Tweet at balanced. Jean. Yeah. Leave yeah, yeah, Malijan and Jean, they will, they will, they will provide you information. Just yeah. tag them on on Twitter. Yeah, it's they are crazy. very smart people, and they have a lot more influence. <laughs> and they, and... they also reply. So there you go. Yeah. All right. I'm well. Uh, I'm going to yeah. end this episode by the same way I, I usually do, and say I love you, Pavel. I love you too, bro. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! yeah. I, I got to get to the airport. I got a plane ride in a few hours, so. Awesome. Uh, we're gonna have to I wrap need to actually get some work done because we're doing this midday almost for me, so I still have a couple tasks to uh, to, to finalize. True. Yeah, we did Especially this like release day, right? Um, Ten point five when we're recording this. Dang right, dang right. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna be at the airport playing some Gwent on my phone, so that's what I'm gonna nice. be doing. Nice. Oh Lord, dear Lord. Uh, yeah. Have a good time, man. Enjoy your enjoy it. I hope Jersey is awesome, and I hope you know it's gonna be. Well, Jersey sucks. Cool. Like New Jersey sucks. Let's just uh, be real. I don't know. I've been. It's not special. I've been also. I kind of liked it, but maybe it's different for us Europeans going there. You may have been there and been like, "Hey, look, New York is right there." So maybe that's what you're looking at. I've I've been to New York and then 
been to Jersey and I feel like Jersey has a has a cool vibe to it. You're weird. That's all it is. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but uh, my favorite uh, from surrounding is, is is Philly, Philadelphia. It's Philly's amazing. cool. Philly's, Philly's a cool awesome. city. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's definitely a Philly vibe that you can feel. Oh, totally. Yeah. But uh, for those interested, I will be casting the Pro Tour for uh, Flesh and Blood. If you go to twitch.tv slash channel fireball i will be casting that uh, this this coming weekend so actually today this I is published on fridays I yeah i will be looking <laughs> so if you like flake casting which i know a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people don't but you could if you want to catch me doing all that stuff so it's gonna be a lot of fun but uh yeah that's that's it ladies and gentlemen so uh we're gonna say dobranos jechi dobranos jechi indeed and thank you everybody for watching or for listening we love you all and yeah. you're not losing if you're learning. Damn right. All right. We'll see you next time Amen. on the first experience. Bye. Bye.